0: When the king Hezekiah heard this, he tore his clothes and put on sackcloth, and he went to Yahweh's temple. He sent Elakayim, the palace supervisor, Shanab, the scribe, the leading priest, clothed in sackcloth with this message to the prophet Isaiah, son of Amaz. This is Isaiah who wrote the book of Isaiah. This is what Hezekiah says. This is the day of distress, insults, and humiliation, as when a baby is ready to leave the birth canal but the mother lacks the strength to push it through. Perhaps Yahweh, your God, will hear all these things the chief advisor has spoken on behalf of his master, the king of Assyria, who sent him to taunt the living God. When Yahweh, your God, hears, perhaps he will punish him and for the things he has said. So pray for this remnant that remains. So the first thing that Hezekiah does is go to the prophet and go to Yahweh. Over and over and over again, this book of Kings, how many kings actually went to the prophets? No. They're like, who does the king of Rome think that I can't heal people? And Elijah's like, you should have brought them to me because I can. Don't you know that? We're supposed to be working hand in hand. And over and over and over again, they've never gone to the prophets. They've never joined them. And now Hezekiah's like, we need to go to the prophet. His first and immediate response is not to trash talk back, It's not to like say, oh yeah, but look at this army that I have secretly hidden away. It's not to be all like miserably, oh my gosh, I'd rather just die. It's, let's go to the prophet. And then he says, rescue us, Yahweh, for they have insulted you. He could say, they've insulted me. I'm king. Who do they think they are? I can't believe somebody just said that to me. I feel so sad and depressed right now. And not that those feelings aren't legitimate. I'm not trying to knock that. Those feelings are very legitimate and very valid. But that's not what he appeals to God on. He appeals to God on, they don't understand who you are. They've insulted you. Verse 5. When Hezekiah's servant came to Isaiah, Isaiah said to them, Tell your master this. This is what Yahweh says. Don't be afraid of the things that you've heard. These insults the king of Assyria's servants have hurled against me. Look, I will take control of his mind. He will receive a report and return to his own land. I will cut him down with a sword to his own land. Now, that's a powerful statement. We've never seen anything like that. Yahweh will take control of his mind. Basically, he's going to fill him with fear. When the chief advisors heard the king of Assyria had departed from Lachish, he left and went to Libna, where the king was campaigning. The king heard that King Terzekah of Ethiopia was marching out to fight him, and again sent messengers to Hezekiah, ordering them, Tell King Hezekiah of Judah this, Don't let your God, to whom you trust, mislead you, when he says Jerusalem will not be handed over to the Assyrian king. Certainly you have heard how the kings of Assyria have annihilated all the lands. Do you really think that you will be rescued, were the nations whom you ancestors destroyed, the nations of Gazan, Haran, Respa, and the people of Eden, and they are rescued by their gods. Where are the king of Hamath, the king of Arpad, the king of Lyre, Serf, and Hena and Avah? So he repeats his argument again. So this is what happens. He's up in Lachish, which is up here in the north, and here he hears a report that there's a rebellion happening somewhere else in his kingdom. And he has to move some of his soldiers away from Judah up to that rebellion to deal with it. Now remember, God often uses rebellions to punish people. And he often uses other armies to punish people. And so the first thing that God says is, I will put fear in him, I will give him a report that will make him run away. So the first report he hears is somewhere else in his empire there's a rebellion. And then he has to divert people over to that to deal with it. That's because this is typically how God works. But as he's moving away from Judah... He's sending more letters back like, don't think that this means I'm weak and I'm pathetic and I can't stroll over you. Remember all those other nations. So he's running away to deal with the rebellion as he's like looking over his shoulders, trash-talking Judah. I will be back. This does not mean I'm weak. It does not mean that I'm going to fail. I just got to deal with these gnats over here and I'll be back to you, little gnat. That's what he's thinking. And he probably truly believes it. Because there's no reason for him to not. Hezekiah, verse 14, took the letter. Now Hezekiah gets more threats. So Hezekiah took the letter from the messenger and read it, and then Hezekiah went up to Yahweh's temple and spread it out before Yahweh. And Hezekiah prayed before Yahweh, Yahweh God of Israel, who is enthroned on the cherubs, you alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. You made the sky and the earth, and this is a mirrorism, so everything in between. Pay attention, Yahweh, and hear. Open your eyes, Yahweh, and observe. Listen to the message of Cherub sent, and how he taunts the living God. Is it true, Yahweh, that the king... It is true, Yahweh, that the kings of Assyria have destroyed the nations of their lands. They have burned the gods of the nations, for they are not really gods, but they are the product of human hands, manufactured from the wood and stone. That is why the Assyrians could destroy them. Now, O Yahweh, your God... Sorry, O Yahweh, our God, Rescue us from his power, so all the kings of the earth will know that you, Yahweh, are the only God. That's powerful. We've never seen a king pray like that since David, really. He takes the scroll that that Sinod wrote to him. He goes into the temple, and he unrolls it in front of God on the floor and says, God, read this. And then he throws himself out on the ground, prostrate, and begins to pray. And he humbles himself before God, and he says, look at what he's saying about you. You are the God. And then he professes, this is where he starts, you are the God of the sky and the earth and everything between. Remember, no pagan God is like that. I understand that you're the God of all the earth. That's the first thing that Hezekiah says. Then he says, yes, it is true that he's been able to destroy all the other gods because they're nothing compared to you. They're not even real true gods. I mean, they exist, but they're not gods like you. Then he says, God, come down to Judah and do something with Sinan Cherub so that the whole world will know that you are the God of the entire world. That's his three-part prayer. It's all about Yahweh is the prayer of Elijah on Mount Carmel. Oh Lord, bring down fire right now and demonstrate your power and glory so that they will know that you are Yahweh truly over the entire planet and they will turn and come back to you in repentance and bow down to you and worship you. Over and over again, that's the prayer that we are to pray. Doesn't mean you can't pray any other prayer because when we get through the book of Psalms, you'll see there's lots of ways to pray. But if you also pay attention to solves, they keep coming back to that point. Even the laments, where they're complaining and they're whining about problems in their life, they still end them with this, but you are God, and unlike anything else. And may everybody know that you are God. Heal me, save me, rescue me. This is Hezekiah's prayer. Verse 20, Isaiah, son of Amaz, sent this message to Hezekiah. This is what Yahweh, the God of Israel, says. I have heard your prayer concerning King Son of of Assyria. This is what Yahweh says about him. Then we go into the prophecy. O virgin daughter Zion despises you. She makes fun of you. Daughter Jerusalem shakes her head after you. Now the virgin daughter of Zion is Judah. It's Jerusalem specifically. Jerusalem was mostly built on a hill. And the hill in Jerusalem was called Mount Moriah. And the bod- the, it was a hill that rose up. I showed you this when we talked about King Solomon. It was that little peninsula-like hill that rose up. And Jerusalem sat on top of Mount Moriah. It was also the hill that Abraham almost sacrificed his son Isaac on. So Jerusalem was built on that. But the theological, spiritual name of it was Zion. Zion is where God put his temple because at the very top of Mount Moriah was the temple. And it was there that God dwelt in the Shekinah glory of God. So Zion became the name of the hill in the spiritual theological sense. When God is there, it's Zion. When God is not there, it's Moriah. That's the idea. So the virgin daughter of Zion is the daughter of Yahweh, the daughter that belongs to the temple. Now notice She's not technically a virgin as we go through the prophets because she has worshipped other idols. Yet God calls her this because this is what God can make her again if she repents and turns back to Yahweh. But she, he says this, Jerusalem, my Jerusalem, where I have put my name and my character and where I dwell, the one I have made a covenant one, the one that I love, the one that I'm willing to pursue and save and bless, she shakes her head at you and she turns away from you and despises you, because you are nothing compared to her, because what makes her great is me, whom you have taunted and hurled insults at, at whom you shouted and looked so arrogantly, at the Holy One of Israel. It is you, that it is me, that you really taunt, Sananah Though your messengers, through your messengers, you taunted the sovereign master with my many chariots, I climb up on the high mountains, the slopes of Lebanon. I cut down its tall cedars and its best evergreens. I invaded its most remote regions, its thickest woods. I dug wells and drank water in the foreign lands. With the soles of my feet, I dried up all the rivers of Egypt. So what he's saying, he's quoting the Assyrian king. He's saying, you have taunted me as a sovereign God, Sinana Cherub. You have bragged about how awesome you are. Sinanah, Cherub, you have bragged about how you have conquered down all the trees of Lebanon, and you turned them into war machines, and you dried up rivers, and you conquered everybody, that you built your own empire. This is what you're bragging about. Certainly, you must have heard. Long ago, now God is speaking, I worked it out. In ancient times, I planned it. It is now I who bring it to pass. The plan is this fortified cities will crash in heaps of ruins the residents are powerless they are terrified and ashamed they are short-lived as plants in the field of green or green vegetation they are short-lived as grass on the wharf top when it is scorched by the east wind so god basically says you think that you built your empire that you're that awesome It is I, before you were even born, before this nation even came into existence, I wrote it out that this would happen one day. I plan for you to become an empire. I plan for you to become a tool of judgment in my hand. You're only great because I already preordained it. I know where you live and everything you do. (laughs) That's scary. That's like God saying, I know where you live and where you sleep and it's flammable. Because you rage against me and the uproar you create has reached my ears, I will put a hook in your nose and my bridle between your lips and I will lead you back the way you came. You've gone through the world putting hooks in people's mouths and jaws and leading them away into exile and carrying them on your chariots. But because you've bragged and thought that you were the one who was that powerful and did not recognize the hand that wielded you, I'm now going to put a hook in you. And I am going to do to you what you've done to everybody else, and I will take you back where you came from. Verse twenty-nine. Now knows how you always said, not because Judah is great and awesome and righteous and moral, he said, because you have dared to elevate yourself above me. This will be your confirmation. Now God is going to give Hezekiah a sign. I have spoken the truth. This year you will eat what grows wild and the next what grows on its own from that. But in the third year you will plant seed and harvest crops and you will plant vines and consume their produce. Those who remain in Judah will take root in the ground and bear fruit. Now, if you've been put under siege for a year, you're not planting crops, which means if you successfully survive the siege and don't starve to death in the siege and you're not killed by the enemy, then when you go out to your fields, they're barren and you're going to die of starvation from not having crops. So being put under siege is not good. If you do successfully survive a siege, chances are you're not going to survive the fields that don't have crops because you weren't planting them for months. So what God says is this. This is a sign that Assyria is going to leave and never, ever come back again. That's a long-term prophecy. This year, the ground will produce so much wild food that you'll be able to just pick it and eat it, even though you didn't plant anything. And then next year, you'll be able to do the same thing. And then the third year, you'll have to plant your own crops, but that's okay because you'll be safe enough to plant your own crops and grow your own food because nobody will be threatening you. That's the sign that I will fulfill a prophecy. Verse 31, so God goes back into it. For a remnant will leave Jerusalem. Survivors will come out of Mount Zion. The intense devotion of the sovereign Yahweh to his people will accomplish this. So this is what Yahweh says about the king of Assyria. He will not enter this city Nor will he shoot an arrow in here. He will not attack with his shield carrying warriors. Nor will he build siege works against it. He will go back the way that he came. He will not enter this city, says Yahweh. I will shield this city and rescue it for the sake of my reputation. And because of my promise to David, my servant. I'm going to protect you because the world needs to know that I'm God. And I'm going to protect you because I made a covenant to David. It's all about my character and my promises. That very night, Yahweh's messenger went out and killed 185 hundred regiments in Assyria camp. When they got up early the next morning, there were all the corpses. So the king, Sanana cherub of Assyria, broke camp and went on his way. And he went back home and stayed in Nineveh. I don't care what religion you are. I don't care whether you're a pagan, superstitious, ancient world, God-worshipping, incense-burning, sacrificing person, or a modern-day scientific, atheistic person doing chemistry experiments with catalytic conversions. Okay? It doesn't matter who you are. If you've got an army that exceeds 200,000 and 185 of them die in the middle of the night in their sleep, and wake up, you would be freaked out. It doesn't matter whether you have a modern day scientific medical explanation for what happened. It doesn't matter whether you truly believe that it was an angel of Yahweh who came into the camp like the night of Egypt before the Passover meal. Either way, you're gonna be freaked out. You're gonna be absolutely freaked out. You're the most powerful army in the entire world that has rolled over everybody completely unstoppable and more than half of your army died in their sleep last night. And when you wake up and stand around, more of them, they're just lying there. That is going to freak you out. And he, and on top of that, he is superstitious because he is a pagan God. He totally sees this as a demonic or a spiritual being or Yahweh or something attacking. So he packs up his camp and he hightails it out. But remember, God said he's not coming back. So one day, as he was worshiping in his temple, his god Nishroch, his sons Adremelech and Shazerash struck him down and the sword, and they escaped to the land of Arat. His son Eshadaron Esh- replaced him as king. Now we know from ancient documents that Sinanacherib favored his son Eshadaron over his other two sons. So it could be that his two sons stabbed him in the back and assassinated him in the temple because of their jealousy. But then realizing, oh crap, like now we're going to be punished for this, they ran off and hid. And so the favorite son ends up becoming king, anyways. But here's what's interesting here's the irony of Yahweh. And this is the final note that Yahweh leaves on this scenario. Sinanacher's biggest taunt against Hezekiah is Your God can't protect you, He has backed me. And no other God has ever been able to stop me. Why would your God be any different? And now he is in the temple of his God that has made him the most invincible, powerful force in the world. And his own family stabs him in the back. And his God can't even protect him in his own temple. And that's the final note that God, this is going right back to the very beginning of the monarchy. Right before the monarchy began, they captured, the Philistines captured the Ark of the Covenant, brought in the Philistine territory, and God made the Dagon statue fall down and break. And now, at the very end of Israel's life, Sanan and Cherub is being stabbed in the back by his own family and his own God's temple as God cannot protect them. And God is making it very clear, I am the only God. I am the only God. The only true God. This is what it means to trust and hope and pray when the whole world around you is pagan. Hezekiah is a great example for us today in our culture. All of Israel has abandoned Yahweh. Most of Judah has abandoned Yahweh. The pagan nations are pressing in, ready to kill the people of God. And yet Hezekiah doesn't freak out. He doesn't blame the world He doesn't try to create another program to fix the problem. He just merely throws the scroll out before God and says, Here's all the news. Here's Time Magazine. Here's Newsweek Magazine. Here's what's happening in China and Russia. Here's what's happening in America. Here's all my fears. And he does exactly what Chronicles says. He humbles himself before Yahweh and cries out to him. And he says, This isn't about us, this isn't about injustice. This is about you are not known to the world. And the world is not in an amazing relationship with you experiencing your blessings. And they're insulting you and making fun of you and mocking you in movies and music videos and in the media. And it's because we have failed to really make you known. And so we're asking you today, God, show up and do something so amazing and so powerful in our nation that the whole world will know that you're the only legitimate God. And rescue us. And reestablish yourself again. And God responds and says, I want my children to know me. And I want them to all be in a Deuteronomic, loving, relational, covenant relationship with me. And I'm going to step in. And I'm going to smash the enemies. Not because you hate them and you don't like them. Or because it's unjust but because they will need to come to me and have a relationship with me. And this is how we handle the world. And I'm not saying this is the only thing, okay? This is not like an exhaustive, comprehensive commentary on how to handle our culture today. This is the key foundational thing. What we need to do is come together as believers and prayer and then ask, what is it that we do beyond that? How do we become the image of God? How do we... Be live this out through the guidance of the Holy Spirit. So, not saying that this is the comprehensive solution to our culture, I'm saying it's the foundational heart starting place to the answer to our culture. If we can start here in our hearts, then all programs and all revivals will succeed because our hearts will be right and our intentions and motivations for the glory of God will be right. But first we need to humble ourselves, confess our sins, and repent of the mistakes that we've made as a church, and then surrender ourselves to Yahweh and understand what it's really truly about, and it's His glory and not our glory, before we can even begin to hope to see any kind of revival.